Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better, and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. On today's show I am chatting to Molly Naylor. She has been on the show before. I was going to call her a friend of the show, but she's a friend of the presenter. She's my friend. I think she's really cool. Um, She's an author. She's a poet. She's a performer. She's been doing some directorial work. She has written for the stage. She uh, co-wrote a TV show called After Hours that was on Sky. And she has just put out a graphic novel called Lights, Planets people along with the illustrator Lizzie Stewart and we talk about that today we talk about how the book got adapted from her it's not really a play it's like a monologue for the stage that she'd written um and we talk about some like very actually look we talk about some very practical things uh which I hope you're into because I think sometimes it's just useful to uh kind of burrow down into sort of actionable uh, lessons. So I was like, how we talked about, I was asked about how do you come up with and then pitch a graphic novel? You know, if you want to create one, how do you find people to collaborate with? If you're a writer and you want to find an artist who you could both work on a book together with, and then maybe take that to an agent or a publisher, how do you do that? And so we talk through Molly's process for that. Um, we talk a bit about kind of creating characters and how to manage flawed characters uh especially if you're you know writing in a way where you want to have representation and um, maybe positive representation but you also want those characters to be cool and human <laughs> and not just paragons and exemplars but people who you can care about so we talk about that and we talk a little bit about the effects of the pandemic and perfectionism and kind of getting over yourself and just had a really good time so that is the episode today i'm going to put a link in the show notes a couple of few people have messaged me saying tim you keep talking about these mythical show notes what are they it just means the sort of text box if you're listening to this on like apple podcasts or podcast addict or indeed on soundcloud you can just go onto the soundcloud page and i super appreciate whenever anyone subscribes to this podcast on soundcloud or via apple podcasts or via podcast addict or whatever podcast grabber you use um but the show notes are just the text box underneath the episode that describes what's in it and i always put links in that relevant to the episode and today i will put links to the book likes planets people i mean you can just go into your local bookshop and if it's not there then order it um you can get it online you can get it via the publishers uh, avery hill i believe but i'll put a link in the show notes for if you want to grab a copy because i think it's worthwhile doing that i'll put a link to molly's website i want to also put a link to lizzie stewart the illustrator's website because a lot of what we talk about today is collaborating collaborating with an actor when you've written something for stage collaborating with a an illustrator if you're 
working on a graphic novel or I guess it, the same things apply if you're writing like a picture book or something like that. Um, and Lizzie's contribution is just as important as Molly's. So Molly like really recommends you go on Lizzie's Instagram to check out her work. And she talks a little bit about how to find people you want to work with as well. But I'll put links there because I think it'd be super cool if you went and checked out both their work. Um, another link that's going to be there is to my coffee page. Uh, that's ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare. If you like the show, then please consider chucking me a few beans to help keep the lights on. I have to pay for website hosting. I have to pay for SoundCloud hosting just to keep this up and free for everyone. I'm so grateful to everyone who has uh, chucked me uh, a few uh, beans towards doing the show. Uh, couldn't do it without you. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's really appreciated. I, I still, you know, there's still people doing the couch to 80k writing boot camp and the 100 day uh, writing uh, challenge and I still get emails from people doing that and I still get like little donations from people who've completed them and uh, I'm also really super grateful to regular listeners who occasionally drop me uh, you know three quid or whatever because um, it is how I get to, I mean I, I was going to say I couldn't do this without you I could I would <laughs> It would just be an act of wanton self-destruction that would um, result in me ultimately not being able to keep my house or feed myself. So it's it's really appreciated because I really love doing this and I love getting to chat to authors like Molly. I mean, I could chat to them anyway again, um, but uh, it's just nice to be able to do it professionally. Um, that's it. I could keep going on. I'd love to chat to you, tell you uh, what's going on in my life, um, but I, I just don't think I need to today. We'll save that for another episode. Hope you're super well. Please do your level best to enjoy my chat with Molly Naylor. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, I wanted to, I was like not sure whether to talk about this because it feels like I'm slagging someone off, but like it's, it's <laughs> are you going to be slagging <clears throat> someone? Let me tell you about Jeff. <laughs> I'm not going to say that, but I think it's quite interesting when it, like what you were saying about the process and how an, an idea kind of gets from an idea into being a thing but but because it, it's really weird with this book because we I approached Lizzie ages ago and was like do you want to do you want to maybe pitch this to some people like do you want to maybe get together and work up a pitch and um what and why can I ask why you pr approached Lizzie and because like like again like there's a couple of stages missed out there because there must have been something about her work and about your work that you you like hey I've got this idea for like quite an involved yeah like reasonably audacious thing like it's yeah so i i love i love graphic novels but i don't i don't know too much about them i don't know too much about the comics world and i so i but i knew that i liked her work i knew that what i liked about her work was the way she she always writes like amazing women and draws draws amazing women and uh she she uses like beautiful visual metaphors to to describe or to depict like it, people's emotional states, and I just felt like that was a really, that was something that this book, this story, really needed, and really, really, or, or would really work with this story. Um, and I'm quite, I, I feel like I work quite a lot. I make quite a lot of creative de de decisions on instinct. If I'm just like, she, she seems like the one, I'll go for it rather than be like, now I need to research loads of other illustrators and see. Do you know what I mean? And that works quite well for me, historically. So. 
I and it hasn't always but <laughs> mainly it's like it's if it feels like the right person and because we have a couple of mutual friends who said that she's like an amazing person and that's really important as well isn't it when you're collaborating like you don't if someone says that like someone's like not an asshole it's like it's really important because it, it makes like a good I think it like makes a good movie for the like the person who has the key skill that the team needs to be like a like a reclusive <laughs> um uh uh like asshole a misanthrope who like lives in the imposing house on the hill and you knock on their door and they're just like get out and they slam the door because that's like then you have to break down their defenses and that's yes. interesting in life as a working relationship not so good no i don't want to break anyone's defenses down and i <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah and she's a, just a very we're both very like conflict averse people so <laughs> but because there were no problems it was sort it was sort of okay so anyway i reached out to her and said like do you fancy having a think about this project and then i sent her the script because it was a stage show originally and she was like sure it's not it is just a monologue though isn't it molly it's not very it's not very visual story and i was like oh no i it could be i understand your perspective in my head it is really visual and there's all this other stuff so so we had this like wrangling and but i did i finally sort of managed to convince her that she that it would like we should you know put together a 20 page pitch or something and then it's not an insane amount of work right but it's it's a bit of work but it's not insane so we did this and at the time she had she had this agent right who um who he, he we met we had a meeting with him and it was like a classic like agent meeting where they like tell you that you're amazing and all of this stuff and he was like yeah this bit and by that time we had some you know pictures and and, and work and and he was like great i'll send it out and he he like he sort of improvised this list like he was like obviously we're gonna send it to penguin and this and this and just and you know and you think like great off you pop then and then like we waited like a few months nothing waited like six months and time was just sort of slipping away and because he wasn't my agent i felt a bit weird about being like emailing him directly and being like what's what's happening and then we found and because Lizzie's not very, because we're both conflict diverse, like she, I, I think she was just like, let's let him do his job. And also it's that thing in writing, you know, you have when you're like, you're, you have this base, not always, not all writers, but you have this base level that like, I'm garbage. So if anyone, yeah, yeah. if anyone is looking at my work, I'm lucky. And if they're not like, I don't deserve it sort of thing. So I feel like it, I, it can be hard for writers to be like, Ooh is this annoying that it's taken nine months like well, have well, you and also it just because it's not like they're going i don't think the story should go this way it's like it's very explicitly about the technical industry side of things so even if you do have an objection it's like based on what yeah they're yeah. like oh do you know do you know do, do you know michael at penguin no i know michael at penguin because that's not your fucking job <laughs> exactly. like what what would you could you get inside the industry and fiddle about with whatever's not well I don't know what's happening so yeah. who do you want me to message uh, do you know I don't know anything yeah. so like what I, I wouldn't have any basis on which to you go yeah. maybe this is what happens and it is and if if it's what's happening then it's what it's what happens right so but then eventually it just got to the point where it was like it was so long and 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 she then contacted me very apologetically and was like I I don't know what's going on I think he might have not be okay and so we I, I'll never know actually what happened or if he did actually send it out but he's not not an agent anymore 
um, and he's he like I never heard from him again. Wow. And I yeah so <laughs> coincidence. <laughs> so like yeah so it was just it, I feel like so many projects get off to this kind of start where you just feel like what's happening like what what is this what is this industry we work in where like someone can like take your work promise that it's gonna happen and then like disappear for a year it's just like oh my god <laughs> get get on like yeah it takes oh the things take a very long time in publishing why, why? <laughs> just no i know that there are i know that there are different reasons but yeah that it is it is weird when you're getting nothing back just because you nothing. just have to fill that in with your own thoughts your own dark imagination yeah, exactly and i feel like some some because i have lots of different like strands to my work you know like i'm a poet and i'm a performer and uh, i write all these different things and write scripts and whatever and and i and some people are like god you do loads of different things and i'm like yeah, I, I have to because if my if I was only a graphic novel writer, I what would I have done for that year? Like it's you know what I mean? I don't I need to pay I need to pay the bills. And so it's like basically having like five things on the go all of the time and and like at least three of them will be an agent is having a breakdown and <laughs> is ignoring me for a year. So it's frustrating. But so anyway, the good the good thing that happened after that was we never knew if he sent it out to Simon at Penguin or like who we, we just never knew and it's like one of those weird things where you you can't really then email Simon at Penguin a you don't have his number I don't know who Simon is I do but, have oh. <laughs> I do specifically have Simon's I could have got email it address you. yeah but you can't you can't really check it's a bit of a faux pas to be like did my did my agent send you the thing and then have them be like yeah we rejected so it's like so we just never knew and then but I and Lizzie I, I me and Lizzie met um on the sort of Christmas before COVID and we were like I think we, we, we've got to do something because this actually is really good we were very proud of the pages we had um, and but we didn't feel like we could sort of go out again potentially to all of those people with a different agent so she knew this publisher called Avery Hill who are a small press in Crystal Palace and she'd um, she knew some of the people that they published and she said we could just approach they're not them. That, they're not that small though. They're, 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 they're well regarded, right? I know, yes, I've heard yeah, of them before. they're very well regarded and they're just... They're independent, they're, but they're I would say that the books yeah. that they put out are generally well... Absolutely, and I th and it was and like they put out beautiful books and they don't have like hundreds of thousands of pounds advances, but they, they're really nice to their writers and we were like had this, yeah, we were sort of had that discussion between like we could just speak to them directly or we could... Or we could, you know, try and go out again to the sort of like major publishing houses, and we just started. To, you, you know, when you start to think like, why? Like, what am I gonna? What, what's what's the difference? Like, why do I need? Is it just my ego that wants to be like with one of the big boys when this com this like lovely, ethical, gorgeous company who put out beautiful books and treat their writers really well um, seem quite interested? So we just decided to do that, and it, so it was it was a lovely journey to to a place where it feels like it's been really looked after and it's like the opposite you know going from someone who who you just don't know what what what's going on with them to this very lovely transparent um press who are have been so nice to work with before we like get into talking about the book because I I, I I want to do that but just while we're on this topic I want <laughs> I want to kind of like go a bit worthy and just <laughs> tell me to fuck off if this is like done but like it just when we were talking about making jokes about kind of like oh you you said like oh it, like I think you said like it wouldn't be it it would be a bit of a faux pas to like email someone directly and there's a lot of I know in publishing there's a lot of 
what feel like sort of invisible sort of social gaffes, like little invisible tripwires or things that you could do or way thing, ways things that are done that aren't completely familiar to, to you if you're not in the industry. And I'm imagining the same is true in TV production, which I know you've you know, got some experience of that going really well. And I'm sure that you've pitched projects that haven't made it all the way through. And I, I wonder like in terms of like accessibility and like diversity in publishing and things like that, um, do you feel like those things like have an effect if you're not, you know, from a kind of like London set, you don't intimately know these aren't the people that you necessarily went to university with or you didn't go to university at all or whatever. I just wonder, it, it feels like there's a lot of ways that like the system can trip people up or catch them out or they don't know this is how quote unquote things work that um, that can e e exclude you if you don't know, if you, if you haven't got that mindset. Is that like, I guess I've phrased that more like a statement than a question, but I just don't know if that's true, have been true of your experience. Or... I think so, yeah. I think it feels like you have to be like so sort of like neurotypical in a very specific way and, and have been con socially conditioned in a specific way and like a certain level of entitlement and privilege. But I d like that's how it feels. It might be bullshit though. Like it might, I don't know, like it, like. I could have ignored that faux pas. Do you know what I mean? Like I've got this perception yeah. that like I need to toe the line in a specific way. Like maybe so. So because this is what I was going to like. Is it that actually what we could have done is like are we imagining these rules and we could yeah. actually just email the person right. and they wouldn't be bummed out at all. Yeah, They'd be like, yeah, yeah. oh hi, yeah. And I think that's what it's gonna. It would take to change it, right? Is to like to because I'm propping up that like all of those rules by sort of like kowtowing to it. Is that the word? Kowtowing? It means, yeah, I think yeah. so. It's like bowing down to <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, it sounded yeah. really strange, kowtowing. Um, <laughs> you were thinking of kowtower in Norwich. That's what I, that's what I immediately thought. I was thinking of camel toe. <laughs> this is a really weird word. Um, it would be weird to, ca to camel toe to it as well, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But if that's what it takes to break it down. <laughs> I think we should go in there. Um, but yeah, I like... Because it's nonsense, isn't it? And there are so many things, yeah, where you can, like, I, yeah, I am propping up or enabling it by being like, sorry, sorry, Mr. Simon, you're so important. Obviously, there's no way I could possibly just ask you a direct question about whether or not you rejected my book. Like, that's that's an okay thing to, to want to know rather than be silent for a year and just be like, well, don't want to cause any trouble. Because you're not causing, it's not like you're, it's not like you're emailing someone and going, Listen, fucker, I think we need to have this out. I think we need to clear the air. <laughs> time for a few home truths. And, and, and I get that, like, I get sort of, I think, hyper aware of what I perceive to be possible social, like, you know, the way things are done or s certain rules. Because so often I just feel like I miss them, mm. that actually I've sort of really trained myself to be hyper aware and, and I sort of... I hate this term, but I get like secondhand embarrassment if I think someone else isn't respecting Same. them. But it's partly because I'm like, I'm worried for them. I'm like, don't do that because bad thing. And, and it's like, it, is that really necessary? Or is there something actually a massive, but also I've all my, I've sometimes like actually like teared up with relief when someone has like addressed the elephant in the room yes. or gone, this is a bit, 
shit. Like yeah. maybe like it would have been good if someone sent you a note. And like, like we've all been in those meetings. I have them because I work at UEA as well. So I work in academia and I've been in those meetings where like I'm in a room and I <clears throat> people are having a conversation. And I just don't understand what's going on. There's like there feels like there's a logic gap or like <laughs> like I had one the other day where they were saying at UEA they were like well you know we don't obviously obviously we're not paid enough to cover the hours that we spend marking so we need to find these ways to like we need to find ways to get around it and make the marking quicker or do and we we're having this massive conversation about all these and I was like is am I Matt could is there a way we can just ask for to be paid for <laughs> the work we do and everyone looked at me like I was and I felt like the idiot savant you know I felt like the toddler at the party <laughs> being like what's you know like what's this poo on the floor like just pointing to this thing out that no one's talking about but i felt mental because i was like but that isn't that what we're saying why can't we address the i don't know and so you know those moments where you feel like i don't want to look stupid by calling something out that i think is obvious and there's this assumption that there's all this like complicated stuff going on that we're not going to understand with these power structures and sometimes i think it's worth like being the toddler at the at the dinner party and just being like hang on a minute like we have to right otherwise we are just enabling these systems but i guess i guess the fear and this this is the curse of being so wonderfully self-aware molly and having such rich inner lives is that we're <laughs> the, the fear is also that you're it's like that kind of i i would think of it as like dad logic but like being like richard madeley but again Oh, I'm I'm like interviewing a neuroscientist. Let me bring the wisdom of the outsider. Could you just not remove that bit of the brain? Like, do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, go, like you look at something with a sort of naive superficiality because you're not experienced. You don't understand. I'm not you. I'm talking one mm. here. Um, and what I always fear is I go, why don't we just do it this way? And 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 everyone turns around and goes like, you fuck, you arrogant prick. Like, do you do you think we haven't thought of that? Do you think we'd be doing things this way if this is like, this is the imagined kind of like backlash. Do you think we'd be doing things yeah. this way for a moment if there weren't really good reasons why we don't take the route you just suggested and now you're coming in like this, yeah, like this brilliant outsider, like the alien who comes down and goes, why do we just not have a, I would simply not have wars. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I, feel, I, I really understand and I think like, but that I think, like with neuroscience, with, with like astrophysics or whatever, like if there's this thing that you genuinely don't understand, like yes, it would be weird to drop a Richard Madeley. But often we're talking about worlds we do understand, and we have an instinct, we have a voice in our head saying, "I don't think this is right. This doesn't feel okay." And that, and I think it's a that there's the distinction. That's there. a really good point because Richard Madeley. And I, I don't mean to like attack Richard Madeley. He was really nice to my mum after she tripped over a dog oh. in Sirencester in a pub. Like, did he say, why did, why did you just not trip over a dog? <laughs> <laughs> he did help her up. He was really oh. kind. She fell out. She tripped over a, uh, an Alsatian that was lying on the floor. It was black and there were tiles on the floor. She tripped over it. She um, bust her face up, blood um, chipped her tooth. And uh, when she like started to lift herself up, Richard Madeley was there with Judy Finnegan, his wow. lady wife. Um, they helped her up and they were really kind to her. And <laughs> it's kind it. of like a little bit hard to like. So when I take the piss out of Richard Madeley, I do it with a certain amount of affection because it's hard to like totally hate someone who was like kind, genuinely kind to your mum in a time when they were off camera. Yeah. I'm like, and um, emailed her afterwards. Um, it was yeah, perfectly nice guy as far and I've, I have met him as well, and he was nice then as well. Anyway, <laughs> in, in other circumstances, um, so what I was going to say was um, 
I, I think you're roughly right to make the distinction that it's about having a stake in it. Like Richard Maley doesn't have a stake in astrophysics. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're directly affected by inadequate pay or I'm having to wait a year, at the very least, it would be nice to go, I don't understand why this is happening. Can someone just like say? Yeah. And if there's a reason, take you five minutes to explain. Fantastic. Speaking of having an investment in astrophysics. <laughs> oh! oh! A seg way. You set up that seg and I, I heard it, Molly, and I was aware and I was like, <laughs> yes, I'm going to wang that back over the net. Can we talk a little bit about what Lights, Planets, People is about? Yes. Um, um, yes, so it's Lights, Planets, People is about a woman called Maggie who is an astrophysicist who, um, <clears throat> she's in her 60s, early 60s, and she uh, she's just released, she's just released, that sounds wrong, she's just launched this mission to find a habitable, habitable, other habitable exoplanets. And think, you know, in thinking about like the future of the earth and things like that, and the future of the people on the earth rather. Um, so that's the mission, and that's based on a real mission that is happening in a couple of years um, called Mission Plato. The trouble is, like, the mission didn't go very well. And so Maggie is, we meet Maggie when she's dealing with the sort of aftermath of that, a, fail, a sort of failed mission. And then she's she's got to give a speech and a sort of to inspire these young people, like young women, to get into STEM. Um, so there's, the, there's three strands of the story, which is like her in real time trying to give this lecture, but struggling with some anxiety or a lot of anxiety um, and this sense of failure. And then... A therapy session so intercuts between a therapy session that's happened before that where she's trying she's trying to find some tools to actually deliver this lecture and then the backstory which deals with her failed relationship the, the relationship with um, a woman called Jane who that failed because she was so obsessed with this mission that, <laughs> that then failed so she's sort of like well, yeah we cut between these three time scales um, and the stories all sort of explore bigger ideas about um, about connection about relationships about communication um about mental health Maggie's also bipolar so it's that's something that's always sort always sort of there for her um and and then like legacy and like ambition and failure and all of those kind of things so did you know when you first had the idea for this did you have a sense of exactly what kind of medium you were going to be writing it for like or were you trying to create something for the stage and then you're like, what do I want to talk about? Or, And I, I'm asking about I'm, I'm asking about this in a kind of like dumb, naive way because I've never written like, I guess, a monologue for stage for, for someone else. And I find it hard to get myself into the mindset where I get like, how would I even approach it? How would I, it seems really intimidating. How do I make this entertaining for the audience for an hour? But also I'd feel like, okay, so I'm going to give this to a performer. Mm. I don't want to make it shit for them because then I'm like forcing them to say stuff. Sorry, I'm not like a Yuki. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my anxiety. I want to know how like you start to approach this and like how you. I guess it's true of any creative project, right? But like I suppose it's just more you you're sent you're sending someone out there to like deliver this in its original yeah. monologue form. How did you start conceiving about that, and how do you kind of go through that? I wonder if we could talk about like developing the stage show because at some stage you have to hear someone saying your words yeah. back at you yeah which so because the work I normally do on stage is I perform it myself and I have done storytelling shows where I'm telling I, you know I could have made this a storytelling show I could have been like hello I'm Molly once upon a time there was a woman called Maggie and, but I just didn't want to do that because I felt like 
I felt like it when I started to develop the character of Maggie, who was sort of like a little bit based on a few scientists I met, but also invented lots of inventor stuff. I just felt like I want to meet her. I think she's cool. I think she's interesting and an un an unusual character we don't see very often. You know, like a like a gay like sixty something like woman like space science it's just like i just felt like she's interesting and weird and cool i want i think we should have her here she's, she's interesting and weird and cool but actually also also like i want to say like perfectly normal like yeah. in the sense of like just made not represented well in theater like none of none of those things i think are sort of i you know i do disagree with me if you, but like all of those things are like statistically pretty like fairly women in STEM not not so much uh, as much as they could be but like in terms of like all of those things like that's just a that's just a person right She's it's just person, what we yeah. choose to like lift up and say this is worthy telling a story yeah, about yeah that's exactly it like that it, when I say weird I just mean yeah like not typical as a, as a sort of dramatic person we see in drama very often and like I didn't invent her for sort of representation reasons but I it felt like, yeah, it felt like that's she needs to be on a stage because we just don't see many Maggies. And also, I guess, like, and I don't know whether this came first or second, but like a lecture format and also therapy as someone addressing, you know, like that's already kind of not quite a monologue, but it, well, a lecture is. Like, yeah, like those yeah. things are already like lend themselves to that kind of. Definitely. And I thought, with especially with the lecture, you know. Don't you, know if you thought you about that in your writing. <laughs> <laughs> just like, a few tips. <laughs> Um, with, yeah, with the lecture, because then I just thought, like, the audience, you know, they get you get to cast them in the role of, like, the you know, the girls. And I thought that's something quite fun about that, like, you know, an audience, a diverse, in terms of age ranges, probably, audience, are, are, are having to sort of play the role of, like, 16-year-old girls. I thought there was something quite interesting in that, like, to make them position themselves like that. Um, and then having, yeah, it just felt like a monologue was the right form for it because then I, I did use like recorded other voices to play the therapist and the girls questions and things but then I I, I think that I, I don't really write I write scripts for like for screen for multiple actors but for stage I because I've done so much like solo work I felt like the next stage in my stage writing is like a one person but it's not me and then maybe the next one after that will be there'll be two people on stage but there's I like it like I do like like the purity of just like one body on a stage there's something like a simplicity to that I like the idea of working with one actor and just having that relationship which so I ended up casting Karen Hill who to play Maggie who was amazing um, and we had a really great back and forth where we'd have like a period of development where we'd I so I'd had a first draft of the script we do like a week's work on it and then I'd go away and do some notes in, or some redraft in response to the development week which was like not a, an experience I've ever had before and like really fantastic because there's no better way to hear what's shit than have someone say it someone perform it do you know what I mean so those like early days is like full of cringes and full of and it's like that interesting thing of going oh is this uh, is this the acting or is this the writing like what about this is a bit eggy and it was main. It was always the writing. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But also, it's like an interaction between the actual actor who ends up doing it. And my only experience of this is directing voice actors in a two thousand and five uh, space uh, adventure game. But like, even then, it's like, oh, like I see that they've decided to do this 
dinosaur space alien with a Norwegian accent. It made the first couple of lines, that was a great read, but now I was doing it in my head with a Georgian street urchin accent. This third piece I'm going to change because it doesn't make sense in their interpretation. So, so, I mean, my writing for that game was really bad, but it was like, it wasn't that the writing was bad. It's just that like you start to get more of a sense of who the character is when it's sort of melded with the actor and their yeah. interpretation. Exactly, and like... I, I feel like with prose, you don't get this. but I mean, you definitely don't. But, like, Karen, the actor, could tell me when something didn't feel right for her to say. When, you know, she would say to me, I just don't think Maggie would say that. Or that phrase, she'd be like, that phrase feels like the kind of thing you would say, Molly. It's like in your, your idiolect, but it's not in mine or it's not in Maggie's. It's not in a six-year woman's. So that's, like, what a gift, you know, because if you're writing can, prose, can you, you never get to... I, I wonder if there's any ways... Have you got any, like either specific examples or was there a particular direct like was it making was it lines that had lots of I'm just thinking about like how we write good dialogue and I know there's not one way but like was it about were there lines that were like you tried to pack too much of a like a theme line in there and you had to or was it too clever clever and you had to simplify what did you was there any trends to the kind of things you were cutting I think it was sort of jokes it was sort of like things that I'd yeah, it was sort of tr what I'd written as sort of clever, clever jokes that actually ended up just feeling like no one would say that. There's a distance. There's too much of a distance. This is too. This feels too rehearsed. It feels too contrived. She's, you know, she's in quite a sort of stressful scenario in both the lecture and the therapy. When we're when our when we have cortisol in our bodies, we're not sort of being like, well, <laughs> like, and so I had to sort of. You know, it's killing you, darling, isn't it? It's just like losing those bits that felt like, yeah, sure, if if she had time to sit down and think about a snappy line, but she doesn't. So it's making her almost more naive, making her like more in the moment and more clumsy, making her make more mistakes and say things that she didn't mean and then have to over have to correct, rather than having her as this like rehearsed, witty, gorgeous person. She was just messing up all the time, and that felt really good. Can I? Yeah, I was going to say, because, and this might, again, this might be a really dumb or misjudged question, but it just seems to me like when men are writing about, uh, you know, white cis men and they get to like do them on stage, you get to have someone be like vulnerable or an asshole, and then you just go, well, what a really deep character. Mm. But like, when something is like you become aware that part of it is representation at least there might i wonder if there's like a pressure to like then just like write that person as just like unmitigatedly really cool because mm -hmm. you kind of like don't want to go oh but this person's like do you, like did it you know do, do you feel that there's sometimes a pressure to like not have the person be human because you want them to just be on stage going like hey i'm in stem i'm really cool i'm all right with my life i've done made all these choices and i'm great and i'm, and great. I'm funny and here's a little one-liner so you can look up to me like I, I know you trust your audience more than that but did you feel that that was like was there ever a conflict where you're like am i making this person like too is she too vulnerable too kind of like Oh no, she's like stumbled with her life choices. <laughs> if only I'd shot less high with my life, or you know, or how do you how do you kind of manage that feeling of like 
wanting an audience to like someone, mm. you know, which I think when we love our characters, whether they're representation or not, we want people to like, and letting them be human. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, it's about that humanity. So like making them be flawed is obviously really important, but then to mitigate them being a bit of an asshole, because Maggie is a bit of an asshole at times, because she's a person, but to mitigate that, it's about showing those that vulnerability and with her it's like that sort of unreliable narrator thing it's like there are these massive things about her life that the audience start to feel like oh your life would be so much better if you you're making life hard for yourself it would be better if this it would be better if you were able to communicate but it's not but she's doing it out of a out of a very sort of understandable vulnerability that i think garners sympathy and compassion from an audience and not that they don't like feel sorry for her per se I don't think but because she's strong and she's you know she's she's successful in all these things but it's about kind of connecting with someone and going yeah that's probably how I would feel in that scenario despite the fact I'm not a 60 year old like bipolar woman instead and like I just think that it's cutting through to those trying anyway to cut through to those things that we all might feel why did you was there any particular reason why you wanted to write why you were drawn to writing about space um because it's like uh, I suppose it's not something that like I've seen having known you it's not something I've seen in your work before and it's not something I was sort of aware of you having like a interest in I wonder what drew you to like that as a sort of it's not it's not even really a theme so much as a kind of like backdrop to the thing it um, is a backdrop exactly and that was actually because I got invited on this residency with this theatre company called China Plate who invited me on this it was like a, it was like a, just a week where they, they used to do it every year where it'd be like a week where they would get a whole bunch of artists and be like, you're going to meet loads of academics and in lots of different areas, like in economics. Oh God, it sounds so good. It's so good. And 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 the, the lovely thing is there's no pressure at the end of the week to make a piece of work. They're like, you can. I feel like the Tories don't want to hear about this. <laughs> like, this is what we thought you were doing. But you can make a piece of work or, you know, see what happens. And so in the past, like, um, a theatre company made a, like a show for kids about economics you know like so you over the week you'll meet all these different people and then maybe something will spark for you and it, this I met this guy Don Palacco who is who is launching this mission um, Plato in like next year I think or in the next couple of years and I just he was just fascinating to me and I just that I, I loved the week and I loved like economics in particular was really brilliant but there was something about the space guys or about the science guys where it wasn't just about what they were talking about, it was about them and their connection with the material that really gave me the shivers because it was it was like about him as his ambition and him, you know, his sort of life's work to launch this mission. And part of it was because he was a scientist and he was fascinated with this thing. But also there was just this sort of like sense of spiritual or creative, just like hope and like, like one of the, he was he would be speaking like so scientifically and then he'd something like one day he just was like someone asked him a question like quite a naive question about like why he wanted to do it and he said something like you know it's just it's just like proper like star trek shit isn't it it's wicked <laughs> <laughs> and you're like yeah like that's a lovely reason why you've built built your built your life the way you have because it's just kind of cool and when you're a little kid you thought it was cool and I think space, like a lot of people have that relationship with space, don't they? Just is, like, is that is that what is that has that been typified your 
relationship with sort of storytelling as well and creating stuff. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Just when when you were, I mean, when you were growing up. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just like absolutely, just that sense of like the wonder of it, which sounds so cheese balls, but like. No, it doesn't at all, and it just made me wonder as well. Because I know as, you know, once you've written something and then you like get to look back on it and you've got, got to look back on it and work in two mediums now. Um, I just wondered if, because you, you know, as you've worked with schools groups, but also you work as an academic teaching people creative writing and writing for film. And it's something that you kind of worked towards and then you got to do and make a TV series. Um, and you know, Maggie has this conflict between having to, wanting to inspire people and also having had the sort of reality of having been through the system and having, you know, like we discussed earlier, these kind of things that go wrong and missions that fail. And I wondered yeah. if you, looking back on the work, you, you can like understand, you've come to understand some of the conflicts that you've been through and some of the conflicts you face when you're trying to help people with their own projects while simultaneously feeling like it's not always as easy as this or it's not always I wonder how you is, is it giving you any ways of understanding the conflict between your kind of like wow this is kind of like Star Trek shit and the missions that failed yeah yeah because exactly there's a line that she Maggie says where she's like oh no it's like the therapist says this to Maggie and then Maggie it Maggie sort of disregards it at the time and then ends up saying it to the kids that she's in the lecture with where she says something about um, striving for, for perfection like when we strive for perfection we relinquish our humanity and it's like Maggie is giving that advice but hasn't yet uh, has, has yet to really understand it herself and I think that's something that I do a lot as well when I'm teaching people it's like I tell them it's okay to fail and I tell them like that it's failure is inevitable and like we'll like do 10 projects for every one that gets made and then I and then like I beat myself up like super hard if like one thing I do is like looking like it's not gonna win me 90 Oscars <laughs> and that must be really difficult when you're doing you're working in media where there's just so many moving parts that are out of your yeah control. but also the stakes are so low as well so it's like it's this weird combination of feeling like 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 really under pressure but also like nothing matters. Like it doesn't matter if my book doesn't come out. Like, whereas for Maggie, she feels like, you know, the, this is the, the, the stakes are really high. Like the future of the earth might be part of this, but then she, what she has to learn is that she's not alone. And like her work on that mission that did fail might contribute, it will contribute to future missions and other learning. It's just, she doesn't get the glory. And I think that's a really important thing to think about and to remember all the time is like we're not we're not alone like we're not it's not about like our singular successes and our singular achievements and that can be really hard to remember when like we're living in this like increasingly individualistic culture and we're not like at the moment not really hanging out with people that much we're just seeing like the the achievement party on social media and so it's like it's hard to remember isn't it that we're all connected by lots of different things and that our work can just be a sort of we're just all throwing things into the pot. <laughs> but I suppose, and I, I want to go on in a sec to talk about the, you know, your, the relationship with Lizzie and that creative relationship, but just to continue from what you're saying, 
I, I sort of want to push back a little bit and say, but it is important and the stakes mm. are high because like often it's like you're, I'm going to, you know, risk veering into melodrama here, but it's like, you know, it's like the the freight of your heart that you're trying to deliver. And also because I know that you know that there's been books and TV programs and bits of theatre that you've seen and they're connected with you in a way that, it's like made a difference like it, yeah. it connects and it and and and, and it actually is I, you know i'd argue that it's sort of like more not self-indulgent but it becomes its own more of a private thing when it doesn't get out there because once it becomes like a piece of art and it's like on tv or it's in a book or it's on stage actually that's when it is in, enjoyed and it becomes a communal thing yeah it's the failed project that doesn't yeah that that, that actually doesn't you know, connect with other human beings and is individualistic because it just it just died in development hell. Whereas when people read something, when someone is, you know, sat wrapped up in their blanket, kind of like with a mug of cocoa reading your book or when they're watching it on TV with a friend and laughing at it or when they go to the theatre and they're in that space where it's just like a, a like an immersive dream for an hour yeah. where you genuinely have to spend a little while afterwards kind of coming back to the real world that's when we're kind of together and I, I i feel like it i just maybe feel like you're undervaluing how important these things are i mean it's not the future of humanity but it does kind of spread you're and... right and i think i just i think i'm really aware of like i don't want to be grandiose and i don't want to be like i don't yeah i don't want to be self-indulgent about like the importance of my own work but at the same time it's like i'm doing other people a disservice like i i'm like yeah for you tim your work is like really important in the world, but I, you know, when you find it hard to sort of apply that to yourself, but it's like getting that balance between like humility, but also not, not then like tipping over into actually being really indulgent by talking courageous about how you don't want to be indulgent. <laughs> like I'm doing that. Woo-hoo! But yeah, well, no, look, because I get, I, I, you can, I can just like imply it through a third per. <laughs> All right, so maybe like uh, you know, one way around that is to talk about how you worked through this with Lizzie like when you're working with a uh an, an artist because I know like people listening as well might have like an idea for because it's it's fucking cool that like you can take something from the stage and go actually this is like something that you probably would be harder to get away with maybe in prose or would it be less conducive to that mm. although that is often what people do with like stage shows they go we'll just write it down in a book yeah. and I'm like can you talk about like how you went through this how, because again you're sort of like in a directorial role I mean maybe that sounds too senior and that doesn't reflect the kind of power dynamic but um can you talk about how you go from having a relationship with an actor to having a relationship with an artist yes and so there's a really interesting set there was a really interesting station in between where so I had this stage play which is you know on the page it looks like a monologue there's so little stage direction you know um because so much of that came into the the directing in the room right and 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 wasn't sort of i didn't want to put that on the page i wanted to just see what happened and then but then that's that's giving lizzie nothing you know it's giving the artist nothing it's just speech and so she's like what so i i was like no i need to i need to do this and i don't know how the comics artists collaborating teams work but I was like, okay, I, there's another step here where I change the script and I and I build in all of all of the sort of visual um, storytelling. 
And then I realized that's like what I do in screenwriting. So I basically rewrote it like as a feature film, as a screenplay, so, and gave it back to her. So then what she's looking at is, so for anyone who's like not ever read a screenplay written down, like you're, you're describing every scene visually. Dialogue isn't the biggest thing on the page. It's scene directions, right? So you're like, <laughs> interior, Tim's house, day. Tim sits down at his desk. There's this around him, there's this going on. So I'm describing this on the page that like if this was going to be made into a movie the like director cinematographer crew would all be part of building that scene i'm giving that to lizzie and now so basically what 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 happens is like i'm the writer and lizzie is the director and the cinematographer and the actors and like the costume people and makeup and she's like everything um which is really interesting because obviously on the stage i was like i was the guy i was and it was just it was just karen telling like becoming a drawing but in the in the graphic novel like yeah it's i i just had to write visually which is something i would be used to doing and then it was nice because i got to make all the decisions that i wanted to make whereas i think if we'd had it if lizzie had come in earlier to that process she would have been she would have been like devising scenes which actually i felt like that's my job as the writer rather than her job like she's she shouldn't be sort of like translating this story I need to tell her the story and then she needs to show that story. Um, yeah. Does, does that, because, I mean, I'm sort of, I read a lot of graphic novels and stuff, but I don't know any of the technical terms for like how you lay out the the boxes, the frames <clears throat> for a page and stuff. Like, in, in terms of that, like how much detail are you giving in your sort of, is she still, I mean, I, I just wonder how much, like, there is because I'd always be worried like am I over explaining this in a way that doesn't it is basically just going I want you to uh, let me hold your hand uh, let me sit over your shoulder and like tell you do this here do this yeah. there and like killing it for you as a creative process or you know am I letting you do you know I, I how what are you are you doing it like do you do do you do it like box by box or like how does that work no so that's that's Lizzie's job. So again, like to use the screenplay analogy, like she also is playing the part of the editor. So oh, cool. Then so she's sort of deciding, like, how quick a moment is. Like, and so if it's quick in a graphic novel, that means like it's a small panel, right? Lots of small panels are like things happening quickly. And then she gets to decide if we're then going to do like a double page spread of someone that's in the scene directions I've written. Maggie glances out the window, but then Lizzie gets to decide. Actually, that might be a double page spread that we might spend like 10 seconds or 20 seconds with Maggie glancing out the window or she might decide to just do that as a like a tiny 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 moment so it's there's a lot of creative freedom for her that I think she enjoyed but it's freedom within some like some boundaries where she she knows she's got to like she knows she's got to she's got to communicate Tim sighing getting up making a cup of coffee and sitting back down and saying uh, I love my mum but she gets to decide how to do that. And so I'm not telling her, I'm not telling her how you walk. I'm not telling her like what's on your face. I, I just might mention that you're sad. And then she gets to decide how she's going to portray that. So you're telling she's showing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that makes, that, that makes a lot of, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you said that when you, I don't know, I, I don't, I'm not asking you to uh, talk about like the industry standard because there might not even be one, but this sort of started 
live as before any a lot of this is done it's like just a pitch with the kind of breakdown of what the story is and the people can also have access to see what lizzie's art looks like in general and there's like your background as a as an artist as well right yeah and then like we also did like 10 sample pages i see uh, with like with the panels and everything but they there's only one image from those that sample that's actually made it into the book but it was and, and it was like two two years ago now or maybe more and lizzie texted me when she'd finished um her work on the book to just say i'm so glad that when we originally pitched it with her old agent that it didn't get picked up then because she was like I'm a much better I'm a much better artist now and 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 that's that was really lovely to hear and I agree like looking at her work now her, her you know it's really developed because she's just been doing so much over the last few years what kind of given like these collaborations and how they've kind of borne fruit for you I just wonder like is that something that you're going to be, that you want to continue, you know, are the new, the projects that you're looking to do, the things you're excited about, are they all collaborative or are there things, because I know you kind of like, when you're doing like your um, your recent poetry collection and stuff like that, that's that's kind of just you. I'm wondering like, it, it, what's the kind of, going forward, are you looking to do more collaborative stuff or what are you kind of most excited about doing next? Yeah, I've, I've been, uh, working on my own for before this for a long time so I'm really excited about doing some more collaborative stuff and some more directing actually um, and some directing for the screen is what I would like to do next because this yeah it felt like a screen project in many ways or a visual project and um, that's yeah that's something that I love I recently shot a music video as well which is like a nice first kind of shot back into thinking about directing and yeah it's just so nice to be with people again and um, and I think last time I collaborated on something which was quite a few years ago, I feel like I was a different person and I was like, I don't know, I just feel like the more we grow in ourselves and our, our levels of confidence, like I've really noticed it this time, I'm just a little, just, yeah, just that bit more confident, that, like, just a little, have a little bit more information about myself that makes me a better collaborator because I'm not as much of a people pleaser. <laughs> how, how do people, like, uh, and, and you can talk a little bit maybe about how you found people but I'm just thinking people might think well I'd love I'd love to work with someone else but I feel like such a fraud or such like a just a useless fuck face <laughs> to like just approach someone and go do you want to do a thing together and you know some of the collaboration you did was like not even people are going to be involved artistically like those academics which seem I mean are there programs that people can uh find that do this or like is it okay to just if you love someone's work and you've got an idea to drop them an email how like how how can we like find these ways of uh connecting and collaborating and are there different levels of collaboration or working together yeah i think like the thing we've got to remember is that everyone loves generally talking about their work and everyone's excited about it so like the academics loved talking about you know their work in space science or i also spoke to a lot of um people in psychology and psychiatry who works with bipolar disorder and like I just it's just lovely isn't it to get to talk for an hour about about things you're passionate with about uh, uh, passionate about or what you're doing and so I think like just reaching out and being nice about people's work is the first thing and that's actually what I did with Lizzie or, or weirdly it's actually what she, she she 
emailed me like 10 years ago she saw a play I did at Batty Art Centre or a show I did emailed me and just said I really liked it and then I that's how I sort of knew about her so you had you kind of like had oh that's nice so you knew you had a kind of like it's kind of soft approach exactly but like even if she hadn't I still think she would have been really receptive to me emailing her and just being like I've seen your work on Instagram it's wicked you're Lizzie Stewart my name's Molly like do you fancy having a coffee because you're you're never you know it's not it's never that cheeky to just be like can I buy you a coffee and like pitch you an idea and then all you need to do is just talk passionately about your idea talk passionately about their work and it might just be that you have that cup of coffee and that's that's it um but that's also fine isn't it um and I think just paying attention to people and being curious about what they do and like Instagram is a really great way to meet artists and visual people you know visual people because that's where their their work tends to lie um so yeah I think it's just like giving it a shot like you've got nothing to lose really apart from like maybe feeling a little bit vulnerable but that's okay isn't it it's good for us it, it is good for us I, I think every time I reach out to people I feel ridiculous I feel fraudulent I feel really vulnerable I feel like I'm pestering them do you I feel what yeah what is that do you think I, I I think, I think part of it is what we've talked about, about being sort of conflict averse. That I think if someone approaches me and says, do you want to do a thing? It, it, it would be really difficult for me to say, honestly, I just don't, like, I, I don't, I, I don't, I mean, I think, I, I think for a variety of reasons, I'm not very confident in my ability to collaborate well if I was in the driving seat. Yeah. Like I think if someone gave me a series of like assignments to fill in, like <laughs> can you write dialogue for this bit mm. and this bit, maybe I could. But I think delegation I might really struggle with, not necessarily because of control freakery, but just like feeling like I don't know what to suggest you do here. I don't know what's within my bounds. But also I just feel like I'm not very good at, sort of assertively but nicely saying no so like if I just thought I just don't really like this person's work very well or I don't think there's much chance of us working together that leading something I think I would really struggle to be honest with them and go I don't really want I don't really want to work with you thank you but thank you for asking you know so you're afraid that if you ask someone to collaborate that's what's going on for them there you'll end up in a collaboration for two years where they're like oh no I'm working with Tim Clare and I hate it yeah I, I, I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to bother them into a sort of passag hell where they <laughs> they have to avoid me through sort of like a series of ruses rather than just being able to say and I just don't want to be a bother you, and also like when you're approaching people and it has you're like being hi how are you but you are asking them for something mm. you are it, there is a business side to it there is a, like a hell you are you are trying to get something out of but them. you're also offering them something yeah but they but it, but, but it might that might that, that might not be equal because like what I might be offering them is like a a, a chance to make up for the creative deficiencies of Tim Clare and what they're offering me is like fucking gravy train and like clout and so that's that's often how I feel is like and I feel it like when I'm trying to get people to like read my book or something it's like I'm going you know the tone that is used in publishing whenever I get sent a book is like hey Tim how are you you know I'll get a little I'll get a book through the door a proof copy of something with a little handwritten 
a lovely little handwritten postcard that will say, Hi Tim, hope you and the family are well. I just thought you'd love this book. Yeah. Now, like, it's not nefarious, but I do, it's difficult for me because I know what is actually going on is they're going, we are in the proof stage of working on this book and we would like to create a buzz and harvest pull quotes that we can maybe put on the cover or failing that on the press release, you know, with sort of lower um, profile people like me, we'll put them in the press release and on the Amazon page. <laughs> We'd like you to say something nice for the Amazon page. Now, they're not being like dicks about it. That's just how it is. But like the message is a lie. Well, this is the thing, and that goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, doesn't it? Because, like, actually it would be fantastic for them to be able to be like, Hi, Tim. Um, really could do with a few more quotes for this. We've already got some um, slightly more high-profile people, but we just want a few safety quotes, so we thought we'd come to you. Um, oh, my gosh, I feel so relieved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we've got Matt Haig, so we're really happy with that. Um, but we wouldn't mind having you as well if you can be bothered to read it. Uh, you don't have to read the whole thing. Just like if you thing, get a yeah, sense get a that sense you enjoy it. <laughs> shit out a quote and uh, then move on with your life. You're much more likely to do it. And that's why, like, I, I, that's my worst thing about the arts. It's just this, like, dance we do of, like, hi and all of this stuff. And I think that that's what probably made it really hard for Lizzie's agent, you know, to not tell us, I haven't sent your book out. Or I have and everyone hated it. Or I'm having a breakdown because there's this like weird surface level which is so disingenuous and yeah. so like I just trying to put out this sense that like everything's wonderful, everything's great, I'm really successful. And actually, what that says is the opposite. It says like this is a house of shit. It's <laughs> 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 gonna fall apart. Why can't we all just be more like oh? Um, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm having a go. And like, I want to collaborate with you because you're fucking wicked. And it, it, of course it will help my career, but you know what? It might help yours because we might create something amazing and I'm excited about the project. Goodbye. When you talked a bit about like working, I'm just like thinking about like how you talk to your students about perfectionism and stuff. And I, I know I've kind of asked you this about this before, but when you are... How how are you how are you getting on with like your own sort of sense of perfectionism and when you do projects now? Have you kind of do you feel like you've especially over like the period of like lockdown where we've had to spend like a lot of time with ourselves? You know, mm. since since I saw you know we chatted last, we've spent like at least a year and a half just kind of like <laughs> stuck with our own kind of like work, and now we're going out to see people again. And you've just had a period of actually getting to see humans a bit. I wonder if. Um, you feel like you've learned, developed any practices over that period or like, you know, are you better or worse at dealing with perfectionism than you were before? How are you, what's your relationship to your work like at the moment in terms of doing that? I don't know. I thought, I thought it was really good um, <laughs> because I've been, I've been really enjoying my work and I've been really, I've been, I had lots of therapy over the pandemic. I was having like therapy, I, I've always, I've had you know like been seeing therapists sort of on and off for years but like I was actually getting to see someone weekly which is really fantastic so I start to feel like oh yeah I'm I'm doing great like I've, I'm, I've, I've started like holding my work really lightly and not thinking that it not thinking that it, it is a sign of my value and all of that, that those really positive things but then as soon and now as I'm back in the world I feel like I've kind of I've gone back into that sort of that thinking around 
like yeah around being needing to be validated by my work so yeah I need to stick with the with the Thesa because it's I think it's hard isn't it because that is the world we live in and I think we had a bit of a respite from that in the, in the pandemic and I think most of my like privileged friends who you know who were sort of all right generally speaking and could pay the rent and but are artists whoever I think the reason they loved lockdown or, or loved some aspect of lockdown is because like for the first time in their lives they didn't feel under pressure to um to achieve and they were like wicked someone outside of me has told me that it's okay to not achieve for a few months mm. thank fuck I'm so happy and now we've all just sort of I feel like we've, we had this opportunity almost to like learn something about ourselves. And I, I think I sort of did. And now I'm throwing it away again and going like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I'd, I'd like to achieve again now. <laughs> and and I still, I'm, I think I'm like, I can feel myself tipping back into that sense of like, I'm only worthwhile in the world if I'm making stuff and putting stuff out there and achieving and like, I don't know how to work with that. Like it's probably gonna be my greatest like lesson of life. But like it's, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because, like, in a sense, like, right, you know, your work and like work out to, to 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 take the heat off you, the work of like all the authors and creators I speak to, like, it does create value in the world. People, you know, enjoy it, and whether it's kind of like whiz bang adventures or like really sort of deep. Um, sort of philosophical uh, uh, explorations, like it, 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 it provides value in human lives, whether that's distracting someone on their lunch break and giving them a bit of a break from the, their shitty life or while they're waiting in the, you know, I've read adventure novels or manga while I've been in sort of like a hospital waiting room and it's, you know, someone I love is dying and, it, you know, that work being light doesn't, make any difference to the value it's adding to my life it's adding genuine human value to my life it's giving me respite from just grief that can't be fixed yeah. like so so all of these things are like it's difficult and also you like enjoy like you get meaning and enjoyment out of helping other people tell stories and creating yourself and yet how do you when you derive it, it from all that that which are seem reasonable right what happens then when it's threatened by it being difficult or something being knocked back and I, I i like is when you did feel like you were threading that needle a bit better like what were what were some of the, the insights even if they felt a little bit like kind of crack pipe <laughs> insights where you're like i get it now and then you wake up and go oh no it doesn't make any sense like do you like when you fail you've been your kind of in your sort of healthiest or wisest state, what what was your sense of your relationship to that? It was just this sense of like, I am, I am absolutely fine. If I never ever make anything ever again, like it's, it's it would be totally fine. I still am allowed to exist and, and everyone is allowed to exist. And, and like, I, I suppose applying the same rules that I have for other people to myself. I would never judge anyone else, but I'd never be like, oh, I only like Tim if he's if his book does well. I, I, I really hope your book does well, but I, on, I, I don't care. It's not gonna make me respect you anymore. It's not gonna make me like you or value you anymore. And I think- Sometimes makes me sort of like feel slightly, someone does really, really well. Sometimes I, I feel like a bit less exactly. relatable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Someone yeah. stacks it, I'm yeah. just like, Oh, cool. Now, now we, yeah. Yeah. If someone's like nailing it, you're like, yeah, I don't really want their round for dinner talking about them. You don't reviews. need me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that fallibility that we respond so like beautifully in others 
to our, in others and we find we find it like human and gorgeous like yeah like I think in my best ways I find that in myself as well and I'm just like oh what a cutie like having a go and like it's fine you can do what whatever you want for the rest of your days um just like try and be nice to people and you know you don't you add meaning in lots of different ways to lots of different lives not just through this work and stuff but it's like then it's funny because then the wheel starts to come off of it because then you're like because you also it is my job you know I, like it's it's all very well being like none of it means anything and then on the other hand i've got to get up and do it so yeah and we're here having this conversation yeah. because you've done it and exactly. it's gone well so I don't, I don't want to be, t- I don't want to like throw it all away. So it's like, I want to hold it lightly. I don't want to like be constantly like, just like worrying about it. It's, it's kind of boring to talk. I, I mean, I don't find it boring, but like, yeah, I just sort of want to crack on really. And I think, I think that's, that's a good thing to do, isn't it? Just to be like, to see it as a job, just to be like workmanly about it and just like, yeah, I'm just going to work today, doing a few bits and pieces and then I'm going to do something else. And that's, and that's it. Yeah, I, I think I, I think it's the kind of stuff that I've always like. I, I used to roll my eyes at, like a devising week where we're going to meet up. There's no pressure to create anything. Just going to see if anything sparks. Years ago, I would have gone, "Oh, fuck off!" Yeah. But like now, I hear it and I go, "I just think that's probably the environment most conducive to probably produce decent yeah. stuff, where you're not like going do this. Yeah. You've got to produce something because then it's not fun and like." Fun is good for creativity, like yeah, a lack levity of pressure. and just like have a have a go. It doesn't it doesn't matter. And then like maybe you will make something that doesn't matter to people. But if it doesn't, you still matter. It's okay. I sometimes think that maybe like all this time, the test that we were under, we thought it was, can you write the really good successful thing? And actually, all the training has not been to make us better writers but it's been opportunities to be kinder to ourselves yeah. you know that yeah. it's like actually the test was not can i fucking survive this in a way that makes me write better like can i push yeah. through my self-doubt to write better but it's like can you faced with something not doing so well like still be kind to because it will make you kinder to other people as well i'm pretty sure like in the end yeah that's like if someone's doing a study on us and like we think the study is like the marshmallow test but it's actually a new study on like what music were they listening to when they came in the room (laughs) did that make them feel like afterwards like yes no it's a different study oh my god i love that <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been, and and what you're talking about, I I, I was like, I was whole. So what you were talking about in terms of viewing other people uh, as operating and then seeing yourself as being uh, uh, exempt from those rules um, is referred to in psychology as the third person effect, mm. and it affects so many different things, including people you know reporting that they believe that of course advertising works and has an influence mm. on everyone except me i'm not influenced i don't see stuff on tv and go i want that lifestyle i'm more likely to buy that product but i accept that other people do (laughs) but not but not me um and i think it's because we have access to other people's behavior but Mm -hmm. our experience and so we we only understand we think we understand people's experience but all we see is their behavior and other people only see our behavior and they have access to our experience and so we just kind of tend to make inferences that aren't complete if people want to find um 
lights, planets, people. Um, where can they go, Molly? <laughs> they can, well, they can find it at the Avery Hill website. So that's the publisher who published gorgeous books. So you can buy it directly from them. You can order it from any good bookshop. Um, and you can, yeah, you can buy it wherever you get your, your books. And I'll you can put a link in the show notes. Yeah. So I don't, I always, I always point down when I'm, when I say that, one, this isn't I'm a visual, yeah, there's, there's no, this isn't a visual medium. No one can see that and you aren't going to need to use that link. I'm not. Um, but also check out Lizzie Stewart's stuff. So she's, best place to see her stuff is on Instagram. She's just called Lizzie with a Y Stewart. Um, that's what I would recommend you do with your with your day, five minutes of it. And for people to find uh, your work in general and and stuff, you've got a website, is that kept updated? Or you're signing? Oh, it is, actually it is. Like sometimes I'm like, oh God, that's another thing on my to-do list, but it's looking looking pretty like like a person's main website at this point rather than just like a weird blog from the past. So yeah, my website's mollynaylor.com, not mollynaylor.co.uk, which is an American child. Um, who is maybe probably an adult now, but don't go on there. Uh, go on Molly Okay, I will. I will go on. Sorry, co.uk is the American. Yeah, it's like a, it's no. Well, that can't. That's right. passag. Um. That is really <laughs> dirty to kind of go in, and I know she's a child, but but fuck off. I know it's unbelievable, but she's probably an adult now. She's been squatting. She's yeah. waiting for your stock to go up and then yeah. she's going to strike. Oh my God. Wow. Well, um, I'll put links to all of, well, not all of those. I'll leave out <laughs> Molly Naylor, the uh, um, American adult who's spent her, spent a good portion of her life just, yes, yeah, cyber squatting, <laughs> uh, passing herself off as you. What a weird... What what a what a weird art piece that is. That's a, that's a I mean look I I I and I completely I've you know timclair.com has been has been been taken by a a lighting technician. Aww. No and 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 there's also a Tim Clare at Nebraska University who's their not their dean whatever they have over there and he's he he, he he's not he he ran with the campaign slogan the choice is clear. The choice is Claire. That's great. It, I, mm. Also, yeah. it's good in a Norfolk accent, which, you know, he doesn't well, know, I, he, he doesn't. I've not heard. I mean, there's, I guess there's a Norfolk in Virginia. Maybe yeah. he's from this. Possible. There's lots of Norfolks <laughs> in America. But, um, yeah, I'm going to use it one day if I ever have to get people to vote for me but don't really care about the outcome. <laughs> I just want to make it. I want an excuse that I'm... I was only kidding. Afterwards, I go, well, look, I did a silly. Yeah. Uh, well, you got um, my vote, buddy. Thank you very much. Um, Molly, thanks very much for coming on the show and oh good God. luck with all your stuff. Thank you so much. And everybody listening, I hope you have a wonderful week of writing. <laughs>